vote to be a full member here at Sweet Communion Baptist Church. Amen. We're always glad to, to see this process go forward and just to see a life that God has changed, a, a heart that is, has trusted Christ. All members in favor of receiving Brother Marcus as a full member of Sweet Communion, please respond by aye. Aye. Any opposed by nay? And so carry. Praise God, brother. Amen. <laughs> Ahead and shake his hand and welcome him to Sweet Communion. Uh, at the end of service, we'll have an opportunity for all of, of you to, to, to welcome him by a handshake. Praise God for that. I, uh, I just want to mention again um, with the vandalism that's been done on our building in the past weeks. Um, I've mentioned it, you, you should be well aware of what had happened and not just what happened, but what God did after that. Mm -hmm. And I, I wanna share a little bit of that. I know if, you, uh, if you're on our email uh, list and you've got the email and you saw the news report that was, was done uh, about Sweet Communion and about what happened and uh, we praise God for getting that news out and getting that information out. Last week, Saturday, uh, we started with, there are 10 uh, uh, units, HVAC units that heat and cool this building, the, the entire property here. Um, and of those 10, all but three have been destroyed. And so we came here on Saturday with just three operating, uh, just enough barely to keep this building warm. Um, but Saturday afternoon, <laughs> God began to move. <laughs> Dave Strange is with us today, and uh, he helped out. Dave, could you just stand or, or raise your hand just so we can see you? Praise God. Thank you, Dave. Lawrence here, would you stand for just a moment so we can know who you are? There's another gentleman, and uh, I think his name is Kenneth, is that right? Who, uh, who was a, actually a technician, an HVAC technician who gave his time to piece together the remaining units that we had so that uh, now out of the 10, I think we have eight, seven or eight that are, that are working. Seven, seven fully working and we praise God for that. That enables us to have warmth and heat today um, and to hopefully get us through this winter. Is that the uh, final solution? No, all the units that were destroyed, will eventually have to be replaced, and we know that. But here's what God has done. Um, the, even before the news report went out, mm -hmm. there had been individuals in, in a, a church in one case, and then a couple or individuals in other cases that have donated already to Sweet Communion. And there has their, to their donations are over $5,000 of donations already. So praise God for that. You can say amen to that. That, that God has blessed and we praise God for that. That's before we give a chance uh, for ourselves to, to, to begin and to add to that fund. So we just wanna thank God for what he's doing, the support he's shown. We've had calls and emails and texts from individuals, pastors and churches uh, who some have already given, some have pledged to give, and all I can say is thank the Lord. Yeah. Thank the Lord for each individual and each person that has given. You know that the damage to us is in excess of 100,000, some say even 200,000 uh, to replace those units, but God has already started, and uh, he is able, and so you hear more about that. I just wanted to fill you in on how good God is already. He has blessed and, and has started that process. So we can just only thank and praise God. Amen. Now I'd like you to turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1. I'm going to start at verse 18 and read through the end of the chapter. If you don't have a Bible of your own, our ushers have Bibles available. Just raise your hand. They'll bring a Bible to you that you can use throughout our service this morning. All right. We acknowledge that hand. A Bible is coming. Any others? 
Just raise your hand if you need a Bible. All right, let's all stand in respect to the reading of God's word. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, through the end of the chapter. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. May God instruct us through his word and challenge our hearts in obedience to him. Would you bow with me now in a word of prayer? We thank you, Heavenly Father, that at this Christmas season, we have so much to give thanks to you for. We can come and worship in a warm building. We can see the fellowship of believers, some of whom we've seen during the week and some we haven't seen since the last time we got together. And we're thankful to see each other. We're thankful to hear your word. We're thankful to sing songs of praise to you. We're thankful to gather together as a group and worship you, praise you. You're deserving of all of our worship and all of our praise. We're thankful for the gift that you have given, the gift of your very son who gave his life died on a cross to pay the price for our sin. The only price that you would accept as payment for sin, your son paid. And he did it willingly because of love that he has for his own. We thank, we're thankful, Lord, that we can preach that gospel freely in this country. And now we pray for the power from your Holy Spirit to proclaim this truth everywhere that we go, to live it out in our lives so that we can be a testimony. And we pray, Lord, that friends, neighbors, acquaintances, people that we come in contact with that we may not know very well, that they might see us and see our lives and hear this gospel that we present, that we might present a clear message both with our lives and with our lips that points individuals to the only hope that they have and only hope that they need and that is in Jesus Christ. So there's so much joy that we share during this season remembering, reflecting on how you sent your son to earth to be the payment for our sin and how we can look forward to him coming again to take us back to the home that he has prepared for us in heaven. And so, Lord, may we be faithful until that time. Give us strength, power, courage, faithfulness until that time. Bless now your service, the preaching of your word, Lord. Clear our hearts as we hear your word, as we prepare to take communion today, that We'll do that with joy, with, with commitment and service to you. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.
Please be seated. We continue our Christmas series. We'll be looking some at Matthew, so it's kind of a go back to Matthew chapter 1 in our series. And let's take a look at the significance of the birth of Christ. As you look at God's word today, understand and embrace not just Jesus coming to the world as a baby, but God's entire plan that he means for his son. Why he sent his son to earth, why Jesus came, and what he accomplished in his life, in his death, his resurrection, and what we look forward to with his return as we participate in the Lord's Supper today, it's interesting that we embrace that complete plan and design of God, that he sent his son to pay the price for sin, that he paid that price, that he showed victory over sin and death by rising from the dead. He instructed his disciples, then went up into heaven saying he's going to come back and return again. So as we take the Lord's Supper, we're remembering all that he's promised to do, what he has done and what he will do. He hasn't returned back to earth yet. He's going to do that. And we look forward to the completion of God's total plan. And it's that plan that motivates us and encourages us. Christ is the center of God's plan, and so he must be the center of our thoughts and our plan and our lives. If your life is not centered around Christ, then it's misdirected. You're wasting your life. It ought to be centered on Christ, and you will get the most out of your life because that would, would reflect the purpose that God has. God made you. And he made you with a purpose. And that purpose is to glorify his son and, and, and be completely fulfilled by him through his son. Let me take a look at what we read earlier today in Matthew chapter 1. It says, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. Many here have been Christians for a while and you know some of the the truths of God's word. You know that the story of Jesus' birth is given in two of the Gospels. Here it is in Matthew, and it's also given in Luke. And you might ask, why is it only in two Gospels instead of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in four Gospels? It tells us a bit about God's plan, but it's saying that that's not the entirety of God's plan. That's a portion of it and it should be taken as such. In other words, understand the birth of Christ in relation to what God means for it. Let me say it another way. We emphasize Christmas so much in our culture and our nation that we forget what it's really all about. And we've taken it to a degree that has no semblance to what it really means. Let's go back to what God intends for us to understand about Jesus coming to earth. And it says this, When his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. That's a mouthful there. And it tells us that Mary and Joseph were betrothed, or we would use the word engaged today. We would say they were looking forward to marriage and they had not yet been married. Betrothal in, in the Jewish culture was stronger than our engagement. It was a promise and a commitment to marriage, and it was a contract to that marriage. And it tells us that while they were betrothed, and there's an important phrase here, before they came together. That means before they, they recognized and shared in the physical sexual relationship as husband and wife, before they shared that, 
these things happen. In fact, they weren't married yet, and so they had not shared sexually uh, uh, together. Unfortunately, that's uncommon today. We have so many couples who think they'd be better off if they would experience each other sexually before marriage, thinking that that's going to make their marriage better. And in fact, it doesn't. Never has and never will. God has called us to a life of commitment to husband to wife before engaging in sexual relationships. And Mary and Joseph honored this. When you put the gospel accounts together, you recognize that it was Mary who God communicated with first through an angel. You see that in Luke chapter 1. An angel appeared to Mary and told her that she would bear a child. And she asked the question, how is this going to happen? I'm not married. The angel said, this is how it's going to happen. It's going to happen with a, uh, an act from the Holy Spirit that he is going to overshadow you in such a way that your body will have or hold and give birth to a child that is going to be both your child, a human child, and it's going to be the Son of God, divine. And you will give birth to this child. Now, this wasn't new, totally, because the Old Testament had prophesied that God will touch and, and, and impact his people in such a way that he would dwell with them. And he told the prophets that a virgin would conceive and bear a child. Why is that important? It's important because it's a fulfillment of the very word that God said. And God set out to do something that was human, Im humanly impossible so that when it happened, we would know for sure that it was of God. And that's what he did. Now, here in Matthew, we see it happening and being played out just the way that God said it would happen. I want you to consider the events surrounding the birth of Christ in the eyes of a few people. The first person I want you to consider in the eyes of is Joseph himself. And here it gives us the account of what happened and what went through Joseph's mind. It says, when he discovered that the woman that he was betrothed through to was now pregnant, he began to, to consider and think and ponder what he should do now. Joseph must have asked God, what's going on? What's happening here? Mary and I committed ourselves together. I've known her to be a faithful woman, and I think I know her very well. But I can't ignore the fact that she is now pregnant, and it's not me. I know it's not me, but I don't know anything else. He pondered what he should do. In the eyes of Joseph, we look at understanding God's plan and asking this question. There's always something about God's plan, and I, I want you to think in terms of your own life, there's something about God's plan that's going to be a mystery to us, something that we don't understand. That's just the way God meant for life. We like today to think of experts and people who know all things, and they just don't exist. In your life is something happening or will happen or has happened that you didn't know how to deal with. It may not have been totally new to mankind, as this event is, but it was something new to you and in your circumstances, and you had to wonder what's going on. At those times, how should you respond? I love this passage of Scripture in Proverbs 3. 
verse 5 and 6, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And don't lean to your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he'll direct your paths or make your paths straight. Joseph was facing a complexity in his life, a thing that he did not understand, and, and he, he wondered what he should do, and he began to contemplate this. How do I know this? It says, while he thought on these things, he didn't just act, he thought, what should he do? Now, he was minded, it says, to divorce her and to do that in a quiet way. What this says is a couple things. That the betrothal period was so strong and it was a legal commitment that could only be broken by a legal action of divorce. And he contemplated, should I do this? And I think he understood that if he had did this, if he had done this, he had to give the grounds for his separation from Mary, and it would be known that she was pregnant and it wasn't his, and the impl implication would be she was an unfaithful woman. The Old Testament gives the just judgment for that. And if she was found to be unfaithful, she would be taken out and stoned. Now, I don't know whether or not that was the practice then, even though it was a command from God's word. But Joseph contemplated, what should he do? The thing I like is he paused a moment to think. Too often, we don't take that time to let God respond. See, God doesn't respond on our time, but he does respond. And when we ask God for wisdom, for direction, he gives that direction. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. He might, may not direct the way you thought he would, but he does give direction to his people. Are you willing to submit your life? So sometimes situations come in our lives just to challenge us to submit to God. God, I don't know what's going on. This is not the way I planned it. What do I do now? What do I do now? And I think that's the question that was on Joseph's mind. What do I do now? And in his gracious way, he was going to be gracious to Mary, separate he thought he should separate from her in a most gracious way and not totally disgrace her. But while he thought on these things, it tells us a little bit about him. It says, verse uh, 19, her husband Joseph being a just man, and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Just, I mean, he was a righteous individual. He's a person who had a relationship with God and had faith in God. And it showed in all of his action and all of his interaction and all of his relationships. It's a reminder of how our faith ought to have a role and a play in everything that we do. And he acted out. Verse 20 says, But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Now I want you to consider and put yourself in Joseph's place. In his complexity, God spoke. But in simple terms, didn't give him all the answers. <laughs> I don't know if I could get answers for that. Like, what? How in the world does that happen? Real? For real? I, he still must be perplexed in his mind. But that's another test. 
when God has spoken, whether we understand all the details or not, we ought to act in obedience. And that's exactly what Joseph did. It was clear what God was directing him to do. Even if he didn't understand all the reasons why he was in the situation that he was in. The angel says to him, Joseph, son of David. It's interesting to read the beginning of this chapter. and You can see exactly God's plan. It starts off with the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. It leaks Jesus back to both David and Abraham, showing that he is the very purpose, plan, and promise of God. And Joseph is fit in there. He's a part of that plan because of his lineage. God has chosen him to represent in that way. So he says to him through this angel, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. He said, I know you're hesitant about what you should do next, but I'm going to tell you exactly what you should do. I want you to marry Mary. And I want to explain briefly what's going on. In very brief and clear words, that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. That's it. I'm not going to give you a detailed medical description that satisfies your every question that you might have. But I'm going to tell you the simple truth that you might go and do what I've called you to do. God speaking that way to you today. God doesn't have to answer to us, but he will direct us. He doesn't have to answer every little question that we have, but he will direct us. Why? Because he's God, he is Lord, and we serve him. But he gives clear direction. The question is, are you willing to follow the clear direction of God? Verse 21, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. She will bear a son. This is part of God's plan, that Mary was going to, in fact, have this child, and it's not random this is going to be a male child, not a female, not some in-between gender that we seem to wrestle with now in our culture, which is just a figment of our imagination. God created male and female. Male and female, he created them, it says in Genesis. This child is going to be a male child. And I already told you what his name is going to be, and I'm directing you to name him according to what I am calling him to. Oh, so much there. <laughs> the responsibility of parents is to follow God's direction. Find out from God what he has in store for your child, and he's not going to tell you the whole plan, so you're going to have to check in with him regularly. Right? That's all he told Joseph then. He told Mary some other things before then. And by the way, Mary, if you look at Luke chapter 1, Mary would have gotten direction from the angel as to what was happening, and she must have shared this with Joseph, and I think that's part of what Joseph was contemplating. I, this doesn't make sense. How, how do I put this all together? Did God really say this to Mary? And now the angel speaks directly to him. Not a lot of detail very specific and clear this is what I want you to do why do I say it that way you know we too often have direction for our lives and we want God to do this 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 and this and he just tells us simply I want you to obey what you already know that I've already given you I want you in close communion with me. Anything that takes away from that, I want you to separate from and listen to me. And then I want you to follow exactly what I've told you to do. What does that mean for us today? 
it means, first of all, trust Christ as your Lord and Savior. You can't get any other clear direction from God until you have, you have taken that step of obedience. We've gone through Matthew. We've seen where God says in two separate locations in Matthew chapter 3, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. He commands us to do that. All of his word is centered around Jesus Christ. And so his command to us, his plan for us is centered around Jesus Christ. You cannot belittle, ignore, or disregard Christ and follow or even hear more of God's will. Are you embracing Christ in your life? Are you doing all that, that, that you know to do to honor him, to love him? to trust him, to submit to him. starts there. And you know what? That never ends, does it? It never ends. So as you begin to ask God for direction, you begin to ask more specifically, now, Lord, that I'm trusting you here, I'm walking here, what do you want for my next step? And that's a good question to ask. If you walk through Luke chapter 1, you'll see that God is answering that for, for, um, for Joseph and Mary, and we can see them just walking step by step, day by day, according to God's plan. He gives him a bit of what that plan is. She will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. He says, first, I want you to marry this woman. And she's going to have a son. And you're not going to abandon her because you're going to name that son. You're going to take the place of physical father in this relationship and lead this family and name this son as I have directed you to do. And what are you going to name him? You're going to name him Jesus. Jesus comes. It's, it's the Greek, Greek equivalent of the Hebrew name of Joshua, which means Jehovah with us. Same as, late, uh, as name before, Emmanuel means God with us. Excuse me, Jehovah saves is what Joshua means. Jehovah saves is what Jesus means. Because what? He will save his people. He will save his people from their sins. This is the whole mission of God. It's completed in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's going to save his people. We talked last week in Ephesians chapter 1 about the plan of God and, and how Jesus Christ is the very center of that plan. In that plan, there's always this mystery of God. There's always this something that God is doing that we don't quite understand and know. And we've, we've, we've heard bits and pieces of it and, and we've incorporated what we know, but we, don't, we, don't, we can't grasp all the time all of the whole plan. And that's how it is with Jesus Christ. If you look in Ephesians chapter 3, you see that um, Jesus, is this the center of God. It also embraces this thing that is not always well known, this mystery. In verse 3, Paul says, How the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I've written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and the prophets by the Spirit. This mystery of Christ. There's something about the work of God that he's doing in his son that was in some ways a mystery. It was a mystery to the Old Testament, folks. And now it's been revealed to Paul so he has more insight of what this is, what God is doing through Jesus Christ. What is he doing? He says, verse 6, I'm in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 6. This mystery... Here it is. Here it is. God is revealing. God is opening our eyes to see his whole plan and how it's embraced in Jesus Christ. He said, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ 
through the gospel. That's why we celebrate Christmas. That's why we have so much joy. It reveals the plan of God, which was a mystery for so long, and is now being declared and opened. And what is that mystery? It centers on Jesus Christ, that the Gentiles are brought into the family of God to share the promises that God made. That's why he says back in, in, in Matthew chapter 1 that, that this Jesus is the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham is the one that said in Genesis chapter 12 that God had promised through Abraham all the families of the earth would be blessed. All the families, not just through one nation that would come to, through Abraham, but all the families of the earth would be blessed. He also prom promised to Abraham that he would have a son, a special son, that would fulfill God's promise. Yes, that son was Isaac, but it was more than just Isaac. Isaac was the line. We have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then the line that goes on from that, we understand from Jacob that the whole nation was named. Israel was born. God had a plan from Israel to bring forth his son, his son that would be the savior of the world, the one who would save his people from their sin. It's interesting that he says this in Matthew because all through the Gospels, we see the apostles, we see the disciples still kind of hooked on this thing that this Messiah who was to come was going to free them from Roman uh, uh, rule. God said it wasn't just that. He was going to save the people from their sin. We're going back to Ephesians 3. This mystery, well, the mystery of Christ is that his people is not just the nation of Israel. His people include all Gentiles and any Jew who will come to trust Jesus Christ. His mystery is that God was embracing into his promise all who would trust in Jesus Christ, whether Jew or Gentile. In fact, he was bringing both Jew and Gentile into the umbrella of under Christ when they trusted in Christ. And so they were now one body. Jew and Gentile were no longer separated. We're still fighting that battle today. The separation of Jew and Gentile. In, in, our, in, in our society, in our culture, in the world today, there is a hatred for the people that God had claimed as his own for Israel. And we see that hatred all across the world. We see it in our own country, in universities across this country. It's, it's a shame, but that's where it is. I know they didn't like that the Jews were claiming we the people of God, and you aren't. But God is the one that embraced this plan. He says, look, my intention and my plan was not to have just one nation that could boast that I'm their father and that they're following me, but all who will come to trust in Christ. And so in that way, many of the Jews are not the people of God because they've rejected their Savior. And God has instead embraced all others, whether they're Jew or Gentile, who will come to trust in Christ to be part of this new group of this people of God that, that God had all, always intended to be his people and his group. In Jesus Christ, all of God's plan is centered and focused on him. That's why wise men can come from the other parts of the world and say, we praise you, God, because we see your plan. It's amazing to us. Shepherds from Israel could come and say, we praise you, God, because you've opened our eyes to see your glorious plan, and it's all set on this child, this son of yours. That's why Mary could ponder in her heart, God, what are you doing? 
this is amazing. And I, have, I get the opportunity to be a part of this plan. God's plan is what he wants you to see as we celebrate Christmas today. So from the perspective of Joseph, we can see that he considered, he contemplated, even while he was dealing with the complexities of his own life, he waited for God's response, for God to, to check in, for God to enlighten him on what he should do next. I noticed he didn't move until that happened. But when it happened, he obeyed. Look back at Matthew chapter 1 again with me. Verse 24. When Joseph woke from sleep, here it is, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. What did he do? He took his wife. In other words, he married her, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Look what Joseph did. It says when, when he woke up from this, this vision, this dream that he had, he knew it was from God, and immediately he began to obey God. And what did he do? He married her. He took her as his wife. He didn't divorce her. He didn't publicly put her to shame. He didn't disconnect from her. I don't know, no, I don't know what's going on here. It ain't mine. He married her. But he didn't start his sexual relationship with her until after she had given birth to this child. Now, why did he do that? Well, because the angel told him to. God, God directed him to. Why was it necessary? Well, physically, it really wasn't necessary. God was going to do what he's going to do regardless of that. That's what I like about God's plan. Even our sin doesn't disrupt God's plan. He knows and he will bring about his plan. But his purpose was for the world to see and have confidence and know that this son is his, not Joseph's. This is a special boy. This is a special child. This child has special purpose and special meaning. And Joseph, I want you to, to, to wait and let this child be born. So there's no confusion in this matter from anybody looking from the outside. God knows what he's doing. It says after that, he called his name Jesus. He obeyed God completely. He did the things that God had told him to do. And he placed on this child the name that the angel had told him because this showed the very purpose of God. God was going to take this child and he was going to save. He was going to deliver his people, not just Jews, but Gentile, all who would come to trust in Christ, he was going to deliver his people and bring them to himself. God has, in fact, and is, in fact, doing that today. Have you considered how you ought to respond to the truth of God? Have you considered how you ought to respond what God has done in his plan. Have you considered to be like Joseph? To commit your way, your life to him, regardless of the questions that you have to the complexities of your life? To know God knows what he's doing. And he's calling you to obey him and to make your life centered on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Joseph did. And he honored God in doing that. We challenge you to do that today. To trust in God's provision. In this child who grew up to be indeed the savior of mankind. To deliver us from our sin. To trust him to make him now the center of your life. Father, we thank you. For this Christmas story, for the truth of it is grounded in your word, that you, 
you shared your word so that we might know what really took place. We might understand why you did what you did or what you were, what you were accomplishing. You were preparing a whole group of people to be yours when they put their faith in Jesus Christ, regardless of what their national affiliation was. You're bringing us together as brothers and sisters in Christ. We want to thank you for that. Lord, we pray that if someone here today has not yet trusted Christ, maybe they're in the process, they're contemplating, help them to see and help them to know that they are hearing from you today. You are speaking to them. You're saying to them, embrace Christ. He is the one and only Savior for sin. Come to him. Let his death on the cross be counted as the payment for your sin. And then submit your life to him because you now owe him your very life. Embrace him. Love him. Submit to him. Serve him. Obey him. We pray, Lord, that many will follow your command today, right now, as they pray in their hearts. They're submitting themselves to you. They'll share that with us so we can help them and guide them in how they can follow you and continue to follow you for the rest of their lives. We thank you now. We pray for our communion time. We're about to take in. We remember what Christ has done for us through communion. We have that, that wafer that represents his body a juice that represents his blood. And as we take it today, we'll remember that you sent your son, gave him a physical human body so that he could experience physical death on the cross with all the pain and all the suffering that entails. And he could pay the price for our sin. But you allowed him to rise again from the dead you promise that he'll come back to earth again to take us, all those who've trusted in him with us, whether we're dead or alive, he'll resurrect our bodies and take us to be with him in that home that you prepare for us in heaven. We believe you, we trust you, we obey you, we submit to you today. We honor you as we take communion. In Jesus' name we pray. We're going to ask our leaders if they will come forward as we prepare for communion today. And as they prepare, I'm going to ask you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I want you to open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. As the table is brought out, let's quiet ourselves and listen to the word of God. First Corinthians 11. Verse 17. It says, In the following instructions I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part, there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat, or eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in, or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. Let me pause there just to give clarification of what Paul is saying here. You know, as you read through 1 Corinthians, he dealt with a lot of problems in the church. And this is one problem that they had that he was addressing. The problem is they were coming together, but they weren't in unity. 
and there was much division in their group. And they act like they could worship God and just ignore all the division that was going on. And Paul says, no, you can't do that. You can't live in a sinful connection with other believers and ignore it and think you can worship God and, and everything be okay. In their case, they were celebrating the Lord's Supper by eating a meal, but they weren't providing and eating that in unity. So they, they were just eating whatever they brought, not sharing with others. They had people in their midst who, who couldn't afford a meal, and they would just basically disconnect from them or, or, or kick them out and not allow them to have that fellowship that they should have had. And so Paul challenged them in that. And he told them, you got to correct that. And he started his instructions of communion with that correction. And so we take heed of that correction. In other words, if there's things in our lives, in, in our communing with each other that is not right, we have to get that right before we can have spiritual fellowship with God. That's why connection and person-to-person -person church is important because God uses that to see if we're real or not. We can all play games and talk to each other and text and emails and internet and stuff and act like everything is fine, but we really need to be together and have everything be right. And Paul says, based on that, then you can come and worship and serve the Lord. Then he gives them further instruction. I'm going to read that in verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So he just gives them the, the basic necessities, the, the essentials of what this communion was. It involved the, the bread and the cup. The bread represented his body and the cup represented his blood. And he showed how important those were to our salvation. And we ought to remember and celebrate that all the time. He's, then he gives them some warning, verse 27. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. I have to tell you, I don't know what that means. I'd be scared to find out. He says, when you do this communion in a way that disrespects God, you're disrespecting what Jesus did, and you're guilty of that, and God's going to take action. That's what I mean. I don't, I don't know what he does there, but I wouldn't want to find out, really. He says, verse 28, let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. So Paul says, before you take communion, make sure you examine yourself. God already knows. He's challenging you to examine yourself. And he says, because believers have taken this lightly, some had gotten sick as God's judgment. Some had even died because of God's judgment in this case. He's warning them, don't, don't do that. Examine yourself. In other words, confess any sin. Get right in God's group of people. Let me say this. I know uh, always um, there's always a chance of offending somebody, but you know I don't care about offending people. Um, when God talks about his community, it's, it's a real community, Okay. Um, and so, yes, you need to be connected to God's people in a connected way. You know what I mean? Maybe you don't know what I mean. I'm going to explain. I don't just say, Donna, let's come home and live in a house and see how it works. We'll be married 42 years coming at the, uh, for the 19th of this month. We're in December now. God said, you don't do it that way. You make a full commitment 
to each other, not knowing what's going to happen in the future. You know, so we don't make a casual commitment and say, well, you know, let's just kind of hang out a little bit. And if it works, it works. If not, no, you know, no big deal. Somebody else might come along. You can go with that one and I'll go with this one. No. He says you commit to each other for life. And whatever you go through, you endure with that commitment in mind. Our relationship is much the same. In other words, it's not a casual relationship. You can come and go. You don't want nobody knowing your business. You don't want nobody saying, why weren't you at church last week? Or, hey, brother, what's happening with this? Or what's happening with that? We, 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 we don't want those commitments, but God calls us into that commitment. And so when you come into communion, it's also that type of commitment. Praise God, Marcus, we welcome you into the church today because you have volunteered to be accountable to us and we to you. That's the commitment that we have come together to be a part of. God has called us to that type of commitment. You can't look at the New Testament and the connection of God's people without understanding that that is a strong commitment. However you want to word it or whatever title you want to put around it, it is a strong, intimate connection together. It's not casual. But people don't want to come to a small church because they know they will be accountable and connected. Go to big church and you can float as you will. People say hi and they'd be glad to see you, but you're not connected. You're not committed. I'm not saying every big church is is sinful or not connected. There's just that. I'm saying the, the motivation of too many people is to not be connected, and they find it easier to do that in a larger churches. So God has called us to connectedness because of who Christ is. I want to challenge you today to walk in obedience to God, to take communion today, saying, I have fellowship with my brothers and my sisters, and if anything is out of order, I will get it right and honor God in so doing. I will connect myself with God's people willingly because that's his desire me. Notice what Paul was saying. If some of you who come in with dinner and you got it all and you don't care about the ones who don't have it, in other words, you're not connected as you should. You should be connected. It's what God is saying there. So he challenges us to examine ourselves and then to take communion with that in mind. So as I've said each time we take communion, communion is for God's people those who are born again, who embrace who Christ is and, and have trusted Christ for, their, for the forgiveness of their sins, for eternal salvation. It's also for God's people who not only have done that, but have connected and are willing to live in this connectedness with each other. Verse 30, that's why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. Isn't that an encouraging thing? He says, God gives us a chance to look at ourselves and correct so he won't have to correct us. Then he says this, is even more encouraging. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. That's encouraging because of this. God doesn't judge or condemn or even discipline us just for the spanking sake he does it so that we will be right with him and we won't be condemned with the world that's the instruction he gives us for communion let's prepare our hearts as we take communion together today Our practice is to give a time for silent prayer. I'm going to ask Elder Brian to give us that time to examine ourselves and then to lead us in prayer. Would you quiet yourselves right now? Would you bow your heads right now? Will you contemplate, consider the things that God has given us in his word today, the challenge that he has before us? Contemplate what we're practicing 
what we're remembering about who Jesus is and what he's done for us with his body with his blood confess any sin that you know is in the way let's have that quiet time now dear Lord we thank you for allowing us to be able to hear your word Lord able to hear your truth, Lord. We pray, Lord, if there's anybody in here, Lord, who has not decided to trust on you, Lord, that they would not take this communion, Lord, today. We pray, Lord, if there's anybody in here, Lord, who has committed a sin and have not confessed that sin, Lord, that they would confess and forsake that sin, Lord, so that they could take part of this communion, Lord. And if they have not forsaken that sin, Lord, let them not take part of this communion. They could trick eyes of men, but they cannot trick your eyes, Lord. We pray, Lord, if there's anybody in here, Lord, who is not committed to the fellowship of the saints of this body, Lord, they are not committed to being faithful here, Lord. They have not been committed to loving their brothers and sisters, Lord. I pray, Lord, if there's anybody like that, Lord, they would not take part in this communion, but that they would get their hearts right, Lord. Oftentimes, Lord, we hear about some members who are thinking about leaving, Lord, and they'll say, nobody, nobody reached out to me. And we ask them, did you reach out to anybody? And they oftentimes will look at it as if, as, as if that's not a question that should be asked. But love is a two-way street, Lord. So I pray, Lord, that you would just inspire us in this body, Lord, to love and be loved. And that means we have to know and be known. We have to be willing to reveal what's going on in our lives and be willing to listen to what's going on in other people's lives. So I pray, Lord, if it's somebody who is not making that commitment to be like that, Lord, that you will rebuke them, that they will not take part of this communion. And, Lord, if we have somebody in here, Lord, who has decided not to be baptized, although they've been saved, Lord, let they not take part in this communion because that's a command, Lord, that is not something that's optional. Lord, if it's somebody here who has set their heart to serve you, Lord, and they have confessed and forsaken their sins, Lord, and they come before you with a pure heart, I pray that you will bless them as they take part in this communion. In your name we pray. Amen. We're going to um, um, bring you forward to, to take the cup. You know that the cup has both the... Um, the wafer that represents Jesus' body and the, the vial of juice that represents his blood. Take that return to your seat and then we will pray for the elements before we take them together. So men, would you direct from the back? Um, please come along the side aisles and then come and receive. We're gonna ask everybody to come even if you don't receive communion, just, just walk on by, we won't judge you for that that's something that you are working through Lord but if you will come and then return to your seat Once you return to your seat, if you would, be seated there. We're going to give instructions and pray together before we, uh, before we take communion together.
everyone receive that wishes to receive today? Before we open, let's just give God thanks. I'm going to ask Cliff Hill if he would thank God for the wafer. Ask Lawrence Thomas if he would pray and thank God for uh, the juice that represents Jesus' blood. We just thank you for the juice and blood that it represents that was shed for the remission of our sins. And we just thank you for the sacrifice that uh, we can never pay you back for. So we just pray that as we take this cup, we do it in a worthy manner. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Just a note that um, Charles, Alexander, and Willa are uh, away out of town today. And so they're not with us. Charles normally would be standing here with us. And uh, they are celebrating their one-year anniversary. Amen. Praise God for that. If you would take that seal and, and remove that wafer. This represents Jesus' body. Just remember what Christ has done for us in coming to earth, living a sinless life, and offering himself on the cross as a sacrifice for our sin. Remember Christ as we eat together. Greatest gift ever given is represented by the juice here. That gift was the blood of Jesus Christ. The Bible says that's the only thing that God would accept as a payment for my sin, for your sin. It had to be Jesus Christ. You know what? It couldn't have been Isaiah, Jeremiah, Moses, or Daniel, or any other godly human being because they each had sin of their own. Jesus, his blood was required as a payment for our sin. But we are thankful that he willingly gave his life for us to remember Christ as we drink together. And it's Jesus that we look forward to returning, returning to complete his plan for us. I like what Ephesians says, that until then, God has given us a down payment. He's given us his Holy Spirit so that we might know he's going to keep his full promise and that we might be provided for with a comforter and ministers to us. Let's walk in obedience to the Holy Spirit as we wait for Christ to come. I'm going to ask, um, Nick, would you close us in a time of prayer? Marcus, if you would come forward, we'd like to just offer you the right hand of fellowship. So as you get an opportunity, Marcus will stand right here in the front, and you can uh, come by and shake his hand and welcome him to Sweet Communion today. <laughs> 